Grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. It is good to be back with you uh, this week. I was with you by video last week, for those of you that don't ever look to the middle of the stage and didn't realize that I wasn't here. Whatever. All right. Uh, but it's good to be back. I was in Texas uh, preaching at a, a high school camp all week, and um, it was fun. A lot of kids got saved. That was great. I don't know what the big deal about Texans think about Texas, because it's just brown and flat and sandy and dirty, and the reason they love Texas is because they haven't been to Jacksonville. As the Hall family can attest, they came here once, and then they're like, we got to move out of this guy for a second place and get to Jacksonville where God lives. All right, so there is no other place I would rather be in the whole world. Speaking at camp is fun. Um, but there is no other place I would rather be than right here at the Church of 1122 with you today. Bible's open and ready to receive the Word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. We're going to dig in. We're starting a brand new series, a three-week series called Timeless. Um, and really, it's a great, it's, if this is your first time, it's like the perfect, one of the perfect weeks to be here. And I'd really encourage you to be here over the next three weeks of this three-week series because we're going to talk about who we are as a church and what we do as a church and really the timeless call of God on hopefully every church, and then the way we walk that out as the church of 1122. And so um, Acts chapter 17 through 18, that, that's going to help us unpack that, and that's what we're going to be doing. So in your uh, notes, grab your notes, we put the, our vision statement, the church of 1122 vision statement on the front page and on the inside of the front cover. Because when we gather together as a group of people, as a core team, uh, as, as we felt like God was calling us to plant this church, we talked about what kind of church do we want to be. I mean, there's all kind of different churches, and and does Jacksonville really need another church? I I didn't think so. I think you probably passed 11 to get to this one. And so if we were going to start a new church, what kind of church were we going to be? And so it became very clear to us that the church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we want to be a movement. When God, when Jesus instituted the church at Caesarea Philippi, he, he called it an ecclesia. An ecclesia is a movement of called out people. And that we ought to be on the move because God is on the move. The church is not a place that you go, but church is a gathering of God's people. They're gathered and scattered. Gathered and scattered for the name and the renown of Jesus Christ. And so we are a, a movement for all people, all kinds of people, all colors people, all uh, political affiliation people, all socioeconomic classes, um, all kinds of religious backgrounds, whether you've been in church for a long, long time or this is your very first time being in church, then we're, we're the church for you. In fact, some of you showed up today and you worship God with your eyes closed and your hands up and you could not wait to open up the word, and you read ahead, knowing we would be in Acts chapter 17, and you even, sometimes I say, hey, turn to this, and you turn, and you're like, I've already got one of those verses memorized. Don't you feel a little more spiritual when you got a verse memorized that they're going to talk about? <laughs> read it. Right, so some of you, that's you, you couldn't wait, you come to two or three services, and, and you know, somebody else doesn't get to come to church because you got their seat, that's okay, but you love it, this is the church for you, and then some of you, you're not even sure if you believe in God. The only reason you're here right now is because she said you had to go to church with her so that you can't take her to the dinner last night. And so here you are, all right? And we're the church for you, too, because God is after you, and you don't even know it yet, but you will. So we're a church for all kind of people, all kinds of people, to do two things, to discover a relationship with Jesus Christ 
this year, since we opened, September 23rd, we've had over 600 people discover for the very first time that God uh, wasn't out to just punish them, and He was a Heavenly Father seeking after them, sent His Son to die on a cross to purchase or redeem them to have a right standing before Him. And so many, many, many of you have discovered a relationship with Jesus. And we want you to do that. We want you to discover that God wants to have a relationship with you. That the gospel is not that God is good, you are bad, so try harder. That the gospel is not a list of do's and don'ts or rules and regulations. But the gospel is God's pursuit of you. That God is paying your sin debt at the cross so that you and I could know Him. And we want you to discover that. We also... If you've been a Christian for any length of time, we hope that there are new areas of discovery in your walk with Christ as you continue to be a part of this family. And then we also want you to deepen your relationship with Jesus. That the idea is not that you would just show up and sit in rows and be a part of a big crowd every weekend, but that you would actually be a member of the family and that you would, you would maybe get out of the rows and get in circles with other people with Bibles open where you could have a dialogue and conversation about God's Word, that you would serve and that you would deepen that relationship with Jesus. People ask us kind of often, so is the church of 1122, I mean, what's that all about? Is it about keeping people or reaching people? And we say, well, really, we're just about the gospel. And the gospel is about discovering and deepening a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's the vision for our church. Now, how are we going to walk that out? The mission of our church is this, that the church of 1122 is a community. I mean, look around, people. This is your community. I know it's a big community. I don't know how in the world you get to know everybody. It seems kind of difficult. But this is a community. The Bible calls the church the body, the bride, and the family. And this is a big old dysfunctional family. So if you think you've got it all together, especially in regards to your relationship with the Lord, then please go screw up somebody else's church, okay? You won't fit in well here. But if you've got issues and you're thinking, I don't know if I can come to church, I don't know if they'll accept me because I got some stuff, I got issues, I got hurts, habits, hang-ups, I don't know, then you are in the right place, all right? We are a big, dysfunctional family. And so uh, this is our community. God has gathered us together as a church family, primarily just to, to glorify God. I mean, that, that's what we do in this place. It's why we sing the way we sing. It's why we preach the way we preach. It's why we do Bible study and serve. It's all not to us, but, but to Jesus be all the glory. He's the only one that deserves it. And so our church is a community that seeks to glorify God. And we're trying to do that in three ways. There's three primary um, events or programs or whatever you want to call it. They'll change all the time. But these three things shouldn't change. Here's what we're trying to do as a church. We're calling people to surrender to Jesus. It's why every single week we talk about the gospel. Every single week um, we talk about the cross. I've told you a hundred times I really only have one sermon. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, whatever topic we start with, we might start with marriage, but then we go to the cross. We might start with finances, we go to the cross. We might start with forgiveness or sin or whatever, we, we end up at the cross. Why? Because, because, um, because Jesus is the only one that can transform. So we will call people to surrender their lives to Jesus. <clears throat> we want to be a church that's making disciples, making disciples. We're not just trying to add converts, people that raise their hand and say, I believe, but to make disciples. The Great Commission was therefore go and make disciples. So we want to make disciple-making disciples. 
This year we launched about 50 disciple groups. We've got about 500 people that are involved in disciple groups right now. Over the next few years, we would like to double and triple the amount of people that are in those disciple groups so that maybe even before you're ready, you would get out of the rows and be at somebody's living room sitting in a circle with other believers with your Bible open being discipled so that you could make disciples. We'll talk about that next week. And then the third thing that we want to do is transform communities. We want to transform your household to be a God-glorifying household. We want to transform your dorm room. We want to transform your neighborhood, your community, your school, our city, this state, this country, into the very ends of the earth. Knowing that we can't do that, that we can only achieve that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to dig into Acts chapter 17 and spend our time talking about that third thing there in our mission statement. That we are all about transforming communities. So Acts chapter 17, hopefully you found it by now. Mark it, because we'll be back there next week, too. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, I don't know how to say those, but neither do you, so it doesn't matter. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, so for three weekends in a row, he's going to show up to, uh, in our context, it would be church there, it was the... It was the synagogue. And so for three weeks in a row, he goes over the same material. So I want you guys to be committed for the next three weeks to be here. And if you're going to be traveling on vacation or whatever, then please go to coe22.com and watch these three messages. Because these three messages in this timeless series are going to be about here's who we are as a church. And I know every week we have people that are kind of church dating, you know, and you're going to all the churches all over the city. That's great. But eventually, you got to quit dating and, and commit. And so, you need to watch these three. That's not just about church, either. Can I get amen, women? Amen? All right. So, it's a different message. I don't have time. Don't encourage me. All right. So, <clears throat> watch these three because you'll get, a, you'll get to see the heartbeat of who we are as a church. Okay? So, for three weeks, we're going to be in this series. So, for three weeks, Paul is uh, uh, teaching in the synagogues. And here's what he's teaching. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, for those of you that are new to Bible study and new to church, Christ was not Jesus' last name. It's not like uh, uh, Mary and Joseph Christ had baby Jesus Christ. That's not how it worked, all right? It's, It's not like his mail came to Reverend Christ. Christ is a title, not a name. Um, It's a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. The anointed one. The the Hebrew version of the same word is Messiah or Meshua, but Messiah is the way we would say it. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing in the synagogue is that he's starting out, the Bible says that he walks through the Scriptures. Why? Because he's talking to a bunch of Jewish men and women, and they believed They believed the Old Testament. They believed that God inspired the prophets to write down the very words of God. And they were all looking for a Messiah. In fact, we all want a Messiah. Everybody, regardless of what anybody believes, everyone's looking for a Messiah. I mean, everybody wants somebody that's like us, but better than us to come in and make things better. Have you seen the Superman movie? I mean, is it not just the story of the Messiah? 
there's this heavenly father that lives in this other kingdom that sends his son that's like us, but better than us. And he's, he's raised by these other people. And then he grows up. And when he's 30 years old, he starts his deal with a beard. I mean, come on, give me a break. Where have I heard that story before? It's the Messiah. Okay. And so what the apostle Paul does is it says, it says that he, he reasoned with them from the scripture. And so we're, we're talking about reason here. He's not just going to talk about you just got to have faith and you just got to believe and and, and he's not a lot of feeling talk, praise God. And he's talking about he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. That everything in the scriptures points to one thing, and it's not you. It's not you. This is not, I know some preachers have heard him say, this is like a roadmap to life. And I know what you mean. Yes, there's some instruction in there about how to live, and it's very good. But you are not the point of the Scriptures, all right? It's not a road map to life. There are maps in here, but if you can't find Jacksonville or where to go to college or if you should ask her to marry you or not, okay, that, that kind of thing's not in here. It's all about Jesus. And so what Paul does is he starts in the Old Testament, and it says he, they, he reasons with them from the Scriptures. And maybe he started in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. With creation, that God spoke into existence the entire world. And then he forms from the dust of the ground the first human, Adam. And then the Bible says that he breathes life into his nostrils. And then when Adam opened his eyes for the very first time, he was face to face with the Almighty and living God. And then once he got the, uh, once he named all the animals, then God gave him a wife. That might be something else for you. He had a job. Straight up the garden, amen, amen. So, <clears throat> I gotta stay on track. Don't encourage me, okay? So, <clears throat> so then there's Adam and Eve, and there's really God wasn't in a bunch of rules; He was in a relationship. The Bible says that God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and with Eve, and they were in right relationship with God. And then the enemy comes along, and he begins to twist the word of God. And do you realize that there were very few commandments when we first started out? In the original plan, I mean, if you look through, there were very few commandments. It was, do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know what another commandment was? This is one of my favorite commandments in all the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply. Praise God. Y'all know what that means? I hope so. If not, I don't have time. So, everything's right. Uh, Adam and Eve together, they, they sin against an almighty God. They, they want to be like God. And so, God comes in. And sin has separated that right relationship between God and, and Adam and Eve. And so, they, the Adam and Eve, they run and they hide. That's typically what we do. Sin causes us to run and hide in shame and try to, try to cover our own tracks instead of trusting God to cover us. And then God comes to him and he, he goes to Adam and says, Hey, have you sinned? And, and Adam does what most men do, blame it on his wife and God. Well, the woman you gave me, it's ain't my fault. It's you and that crazy lady I'm married to. All right, And so... And God comes in and curses Adam and curses Eve and curses the serpent. And what he says to the snake, what he says to the devil is, this woman, a child will come from her lineage and you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. And from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, you're already getting messianic text. There is a Messiah coming and devil, you will try to crush him. You will strike his heel or bruise his heel. And he will crush your 
head. And he was already talking about thousands of years from then there would be a man named Jesus who on a hill, and the name of that hill was Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And at the place of the skull, he would crush the head of the enemy. And so maybe from Genesis 3, he went from there to Abraham, Father Abraham, and many sons, you, you know, Abraham. And he calls Abraham out and he promises him a son. And so Abraham has this promised son. And then God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your only begotten son and take him up to the hillside to sacrifice him. And so you think you got dad issues. Abraham went through with it. He took his only begotten son who he loved and treasured and took, them, took him up onto the hillside. And his son, Isaac, he says to him, Dad, we've got the knife, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, we've got everything, but we don't have the sacrifice. What are we going to do? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. On that hill, the Lord will provide. And so Abraham gets his son, he lays him on the altar, he raises the knife to sacrifice him, and then God speaks up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do not touch that boy. Do not harm that boy. I have provided you a substitute sacrifice. And it was a picture of the gospel, the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. And Abraham looks over, and there's a ram that is caught in the thorns. Let me talk to the deer hunters for a second. Have you ever been walking through the woods and found an eight-pointer tangled up in the vines? No. Right? This was miraculous. And so he takes that ram, and he sacrifices it. And the Bible says, instead of his only begotten son. It was a foreshadowing of the gospel. And then maybe he took him, he took him through, um, uh, through Joseph and the coat of many colors and how all the children of Israel ended up in Egypt and then they became a slave nation in Egypt. And then God sends in the great deliverer Moses to say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then the plagues started coming. There were ten plagues because God was trying to shake Pharaoh up in order to let the Israelites out of Egypt so they could be their own people. And, and there's some crazy plagues like the plague of the Nats and the, and the, the rivers turn to blood and the plague of the frogs, all these bullfrogs take over Egypt for a while. You've got to read your Bible. There's some crazy stuff in there, right? And then they get to the tenth one, and it's called the plague of the firstborn. And I bet Paul walked them through what they knew as the Passover. That, that Moses went and told all the people, because God told him that an angel of death is going to come through Egypt tonight. And he's going to kill the firstborn of every person in Egypt. Except for those that go and find this spotless lamb. You've got to find a perfect spotless lamb and sacrifice it and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorway of your house. And every person in Egypt that has the blood of the lamb over the doorway of your house, the angel of death will pass over you. And what Paul is saying, don't you understand that that was about the future lamb that was going to come and shed his blood that if you put over the doorway of your heart, the angel of death passes over you. And then maybe he took him from there to the Levitical law when they set up the temple and the sacrificial system. And all of these people in the synagogue, they were very, very familiar with the Levitical law and the sacrificial system. And in the Levitical law, there was a day of atonement. And one day every year, all of the nation of Israel would get together and the priests would stand before the nation with two goats. And the nation would confess their sins before God. And the priest, check this out, he would take their sins and transfer their sins to the head of this goat. And they called that the scapegoat. And they would take that scapegoat to the edge of the city and they would send him out into the wilderness. And the people would watch their sins travel away from them. And the priest would say, may you go as far as the east is from the west. And they would see through the high priest 
how God put their sins on this goat to send them out into the wilderness. And then, it was, it was kind of worse for the other goat. They took the other goat and they sacrificed him. And the priest would take that sacrificed goat, he would take it into this place called the Holy of Holies. It was inside the temple. There was the outer court where everybody could hang out, the inner court where only the Jewish men could come, and then the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies represented the very presence of God. It, inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. You probably know it from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? If, if you're under 30, Google it. Great movie. And so that's, it's, this, it's this box that contained the Ten Commandments of God. And so once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy Holies. He would cross on the other side of that curtain. He would shed the blood of this goat and he would pour it over the Ark of the Covenant on what was called the mercy seat. And that blood was to cover over the commandments because they had been broken. And they would do this every single year. And then maybe he, he opened up the scroll and said, Don't you guys know Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah? And what Isaiah said is that a Messiah or a suffering servant would come. In Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah says things like, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It's a description of Jesus Christ beaten, battered, and bruised on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Isaiah Paul is saying, Isaiah was talking about Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was enduring the punishment for our sin. And by his punishment that we are healed. Maybe he went to the Psalms because the Psalms were like the greatest hits of Israel, you know. I mean, this is like the favorite songs of everybody. He probably, he probably went to Psalm chapter 22 and he told everybody, listen, the psalmist knew what he was talking about when he said things. Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you guys will remember, that's what Jesus Christ said when he was on the cross. And he was identifying himself with what the prophet in Psalm 22 is talking about. When he says things like, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast, my strength is dried up, my tongue sticks to my jaws, you lay me. In the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evil doors encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. And then the very end of Psalm 22, it says this, that he has done it. And the last thing that Jesus Christ said on the cross is, it is finished. And he's explaining to these people, don't you understand that all of the Old Testament even all the way to the last prophet, Malachi. Malachi said that the day is coming when the son of righteousness will appear with healing in his wings. And when he stretched out his arms on the cross, there was healing for everyone that would receive him. And don't you remember, don't you remember John the baptizer? He was just here before he got his head cut off not too long ago. He was here and he was in the Jordan. And hundreds of people would show up to watch John the baptizer baptize or wash people. And remember his message was repent and be prepared for the way of the Lord. And then one day, in the pinnacle of his preaching career, 
He tells everybody, behold, the lamb who comes to take away the sin of all mankind. Not another sacrificial lamb for the Levitical system, but the lamb, the Christ, the Messiah, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of all mankind. And then Jesus, this carpenter's son, he makes his way down into the Jordan and John baptizes him, baptizes Jesus And just ask anybody that was there. The heavens opened up and we heard the very voice of God say, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then we all watch a spirit of God descend on him like a dove or anoint him for his ministry. And then he went around and he taught and he healed some people. But that was all secondary to his primary ministry, which was which was it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so that's what Paul does. Paul takes the entire Old Testament, and he just reasons that this Jesus is not just another teacher. That he, he says seven times in the Gospel of John, I am. God told Moses his name was I am. And Jesus said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am The way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And after a very, very, very compelling sermon, verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Can I just tell you, as a preacher, that makes me feel so much better. If Paul can't win them all, I know I don't have a shot, right? And it it also just reminds us that that all, I I mean, maybe I can encourage you, and and maybe I can make you laugh and cry and all of that, but I can't transform anybody. There's one hero, it ain't me, it's Jesus. And Jesus alone is the one that persuades and transforms. And so, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason. And Jason is thinking, seriously, I just became a Christian like two weeks ago, and I'm already getting beat up for it seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. I want you to underline that. Turn the world upside down. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason, so he pays his own bond to get out, he bails himself out, and the rest, they let them go. I want to spend um, the rest of our time, about the next 15 minutes, talking about that phrase, that these men turn the world upside down. Here's the point of the message today, is that the gospel compels us to turn the world upside down. That the gospel compels us to turn the world upside down. You see what happened here is Paul starts with the gospel. And once the gospel begins to infect God's people, then they begin to realize uh, my individual world has been turned upside down. Because when you get infected with the gospel, that's when you begin to know that it's not all about me. You see, before I knew the love of Christ in my life, it was all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my plans. It's about my 401k. It's about my retirement. It's about my house. It's about my cars. It's about my family. It's about my hopes. It's about my dreams. It's about my pursuit of happiness. And then you meet Jesus. And when he gets you, 
When you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that's when you begin to realize, hey, look, it's not just about me. Because Christ came for me. And if Christ lives in me, he's still about serving other people and not just serving himself. I mean, Jesus said some pretty crazy stuff to be the son of God, didn't he? He said things like, I have come not to be served, but to serve. Jesus does things like dresses himself as a servant, a foot washing servant. That's like the lowest of the low servants. And instead of flexing his power on everybody, he serves serves the disciples by washing their feet. And so if you're a Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. And the gospel compels us. Now look, I could motivate you to sign up for almost anything. You people are crazy, all right? I mean, you're going all over the world because I told you you had to. But you know what I can't do? I can't transform your heart. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform your heart. And let me tell you this. You know what I want our church to be known for? I want our church to be known as the church that's turning the world upside down. I, I don't care if people know that we, we grew very fast. I don't care if people really know that we have great musicians or we have a great children's ministry or we've got an awesome student ministry or, or whatever. That, I don't care if they know that we're in an old Walmart and we're expanding. That, that is not the point. What I want to be, I want to be the kind of church that has been so moved and saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ that when people talk about the church of 1122, they say about us what they said about this church in Thessalonica. These people, they've turned the world upside down. And you know what it starts with? It starts with your individual life being turned upside down. I mean, the reason that I'm here is because Coach Bull Lee told me that Jesus loved me, died on a cross for me to pay for my sin. And if I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, to come on down. And I did and prayed, and here I am. Why? Because God, the gospel compelled me to, to, to preach to you and not just be about me. And I want our church to be the kind of church that's turning the whole world upside down. Now, how in the world do we do that? I mean, it's kind of a big world, and I don't know if you've seen the news lately. It's kind of jacked up. Amen? Amen. And so, how are we going to turn the world upside down? Here's what you do. First thing, here's some options for you. First and foremost, you've got to know that it, it's got to be gospel-driven. It's got to be gospel-driven. We, we are not just like a humanitarian organization, all right? Yes, we want to clothe people, and yes, we want to feed people, and yes, we want to educate people, but we're not trying to change temporary circumstances. We're trying to glorify God by changing people's eternity. So yes, we do all of those things for the glory of God. We, we're going to feed and clothe and educate and help heal and all of those things to the glory of God. But be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all who know what we're doing, they know that we're doing it by the blood of Jesus. You know, the mayor of Jacksonville was here at the 9 o'clock service, sitting right here on the front row. And when I first met the mayor a couple years ago, he invited me to speak at his uh, prayer breakfast and he had like some big time preachers there and then there me right so i get up and i'm like the last one so i'm supposed to you know i don't know go last and so <laughs> the mayor introduces me and the way he introduces me is he just starts kind of talking and kind of start preaching a little bit and, I, and i'm the least political guy in the room all right i thought going to a mayor's prayer breakfast was going to be lame and it was going to be you know, political talk about we just got to be unified and uh, all that. But that dude gets up on the stage and says, the only hope for Jacksonville is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I was like, bro, I like this brother. All right, come on, man. 
And so he was here this morning, and I just quoted him about 50 times, that the only hope for Jacksonville and the world, it's not humanitarian effort. It's not. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So how can we turn the world upside down? I put them in your notes. One of the options is this, is by serving each other. It's by serving each other. Tomorrow evening, we have a serve staff onboarding. On August the 11th, we're starting another service, a 522 service. I hope you're excited. Did you know the other two services cheer when we say 522? 1122 is like, this is my seat. I am not. Okay. It's not about you. All right. So <clears throat> we're going to start a new service at 522. We need about 100 volunteers to pull that off. 100 serve staff. And tomorrow evening, we're having a serve staff onboarding. And one of the ways that you can turn the world upside down is by serving here at the church. You know why? Because, because God has used the pastors, the elders, the deacons, and the about 700 serve staff that we have now to turn some of your worlds upside down. Again, over 600 people have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. And a big reason that happens is because we serve each other here. That when you pulled up here this morning, there was somebody in the parking lot helping you park in your parking space. And I know you got mad at them because you wanted to park way down front, but they could tell by the power of the Holy Spirit you needed to park way back there, okay? And they helped you park, and then when you walked in, kind of grumpy, and they smiled at you and welcomed you, and they had, we have people at the door. Did you know that I think you could probably open your own door? But what we want to do is open that door for you and serve you. Just, just say good morning, and, and you come in to the welcome desk where people could answer questions. And if you had children, you walked over to the new gym lobby, and there were some serve staff folks right there to help you check your kids in. And you got that little badge, and, and then your kid got that badge, and it's got three letters, and you're still waiting for those three letters to make a word that we shouldn't print in church. You know, every week, you're like, oh, it's funny. And so you put that on, and then you walk by the security. We've got some, some serve staff security at the door. Why? Because we value your kids, the safety and security of your children. So we don't do that just anybody walk through without the, the badge that matches their kids. And then you drop your children off with some serve staff disciple makers who right now, who right now are teaching and preaching and demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ to our kids. Both of my kids are in there right now. And then you came through that door and, and you came through these doors over here. Or if you didn't drop kids off, you came some, through some more doors. And once again, we open them for you. And there's a serve staff person there to hand you a bulletin. And then you came in and you sat in a clean room because we have some serve staff people that clean up all the mess from 9 o'clock. I mean, 9 o'clock thinks they're awesome because they get here first. But man, they leave a mess. And we had serve staff people come in here and clean it up and be prepared for you. And then we had serve staff that... Turn on the lights and turn on the microphones and, and make sure the video is working and all of those things. And God uses us serving one another to turn individual people's lives upside down. There are so many. I mean, this is your story, isn't it? This is your story. That just a few months ago, you couldn't imagine yourself being a part of a family like this. Well, now that you have been saved by Jesus, it's time for you to get on the rescue team and serve one another. So that's one way. We need a bunch of you to serve on our serve staff. Particularly for 522, we need a hundred of you. And I need hundreds of you, hundreds of you to choose to go to 522 service. I mean, really, like this whole section, all right? I need that many of you to go. Because let me just tell you something about church culture real quick. Look around the room real quick. It's July. Isn't it July? It's July. 
Do you know you're not supposed to be at church? Do you realize this? This is supposed to be like low attendance month. You're all supposed to be at the beach. But you crazy people pack it out every single Sunday. That's why we've got to start a new service. And most people in Jacksonville who are new to church, yeah, you, I think you're clapping for you. <laughs> we are kind of awesome. We are here. And we're awesome. So, don't ever do that again. I'll do a whole series on total depravity. Okay, so. But I need you to move to 522. Okay, I, I, I need you. I need big chunks of people. Because we live in Jacksonville. And almost everybody in Jacksonville has got some kind of church background. So, you, they're going to go. New people are going to go to church when? I'm going on Sunday morning because that's when Jesus went to Sunday school, right? That's what they think. And so, we need to have seats in the place uh, for new people to be here. Because we're about, about discovering and. So you can, you can serve one another. Another thing you can do to change the world, to turn the world upside down, is we want you to serve locally. Part of the strategy of 1122 is we know that we're not the experts in anything. We're going to try to glorify God in worship and word. We're going to try to put you in disciple groups. But, but there are some experts in our community that are meeting some of the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of people in the community. And so instead of trying to recreate those things, we just want to fuel and fund those things. So when you got this on the way in, these are some of our, like our top partners that we partner with in the city of Jacksonville. And we would love for you to just plug in. You don't even have to go through the church. You can just, you can just get their information from right here, call them up and say, my pastor said I had to come volunteer and they would love to take you. Um, I want to highlight some of them. I'm going to read through all of them, but I want to just tell you about some. Um, <clears throat> We have a, a world relief. Did you know that there are refugees and survivors of human trafficking from all over the world that for whatever reason have ended up here in Jacksonville? You can partner with World Relief to help serve those people. Um, that information is there. Uh, we have the Salzbacker Center. That's a homeless shelter that's downtown right next to the jail. It's under this bridge right next to the jail. And they're trying to minister to entire families. It's one of the few homeless ministries that is addressing the mental health issues of the homeless population. Uh, some of our very own people are a part of that, so um, they're open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You can get plugged in there. Uh, we partner with Second Harvest of North Florida. It's a food bank that provides food sources for almost 400 nonprofit agencies in a 17-county area in North Florida. And so they need all kinds of help. Uh, our staff has been there just to volunteer, to stock shelves and, and sort food, and they could use help. You could plug in there. Uh, one of my favorites is Kairos Ministry. I mean, check this out. You can go to jail for the weekend. And different than your last experience, they'll let you out when the weekend's over. Okay? So I know there's a lot of you prepped and ready for this ministry. and uh, But it is. It's in Jesus' name. Kairos has a booth out here in the lobby uh, for this month. So, men, I'd like for you to go out there. And we need we need about a dozen men. And this was a hard one. The preparation that you have to go through to be kind of cleared, it's extensive. It takes a lot of time. It's not easy. Uh, this isn't like bacon brownies for a bake sale or something like that. This takes an immense amount of dedication. And some of you, the way you could turn the world upside down is by, by volunteering with Kairos Ministries. Um, heartfelt Ministries. This is uh, to help preserve the independence of frail seniors. Um, some of you, whenever we talk about serving, you'll come up to me and say, well, Pastor Joby, I just, I don't know how to serve because I don't have a lot of gifts and talents. And after talking to you with, for a little while, I go, wow, you're right. You really can't do much. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, heartfelt's for you because 
If you can buy some groceries, cut some grass, or maybe just sit with a senior in the later years of their life and just provide a little bit of community. Again, I don't know if you'll turn a generation upside down, but you'll turn that person's world upside down. That maybe in a, in a world where they feel so lonely and abandoned that, that they would feel cared for and pursued by God through you. That's Heartfelt Ministries. Uh, we have First Coast Women's Services. Sean, one of our deacons, talked about that this, at the very beginning of the service. What they're trying to do is to remove the barriers that cause individuals to choose abortion. And they try to provide uh, an opportunity for life. You know, evangelicals sure do love to talk about being pro-life and rally the vote for pro-life and, and just uh, rail against pro-choice. But I see very few churches, or especially, it's almost like the louder you scream against abortion, I see very little people actually taking action to help those women that find themselves in that situation. And so First Coast Women's Services, it's a private organization, so it's gospel-centered. They're not getting government funding or anything, so it is gospel-centered. They're trying to help those women understand that that baby inside them is fearfully and wonderfully made and being knit together as they speak. You know what one of the big uh, needs that First Coast Women's Services has is it needs male mentors. See, because these it's usually young couples come in and they're scared, and here's this 18-year-old kid, this 17-year-old kid, and he's freaking out. And he needs some of you men, some of us men, to sit in his life and pour the gospel into him. Because he's got no hope of being a decent dad if he doesn't know his Heavenly Father. And so some of you could just volunteer there and turn the world upside down. Uh, Beam Beaches Emergency Assistance Ministry is set up to assist families experiencing financial crisis. We support them financially like crazy. When people come here that have uh, immediate emergency kind of financial needs, that's where we send them because they are an expert set up to do it. And then another one is uh, the McKenzie Academic Resource Center. In two local communities, and we plan on expanding this as the years go on, um, we have partnered with the McKenzie Wilson Foundation for free academic programs to students who live in two Jacksonville communities. And again, do you think you can change um, uh, the educational system and cyclical poverty that happens in Jacksonville? I don't know if you can change the whole thing. But when we begin to harness the army that is the Church of 1122 and have mentors for those students whose mom and dad either can't help them with their homework or won't or they don't have a mom and dad, but you could pour into them once a week for all of their high school years, I'm telling you, you'll turn that person's world upside down. So I would love for you, some of you, whoever God calls, to just take this, find the ministry that you want to get plugged into, and then call them and start serving. And I tell you, you will turn somebody's world upside down. The other option is that you can serve globally. That you can go on one of our mission trips. Now, all of our mission trips for 2013 are full, but we're putting together the list for 2014. So you start praying now, and you start uh, raising the funds to go, and we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're going to partner with churches to plant churches and take care of orphans around the world. And you need to go. I've said it a hundred times. At, at the Church of 1122, the expectation is that you've got three years to go. Now, if you don't go, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You just, the heartbeat of 1122 is we go. And if you can't go, that's fine. Just send somebody else. That's the deal, all right? I'll go. You pay for mine, and we'll call it even, all right? That's how that works. 
So if you can't go, because some of you can't medically, whatever, okay, then you start raising money, start praying like crazy to send somebody in your place. And we're going to go to the very ends of the earth. Or maybe God's laid on your heart some kind of ministry for Jacksonville or for around the world. Then just start it. Just go and do it. Just start living like you actually believe the gospel and it's not all about you. I mean, that's how so many of these ministries started. The McKinsey Academic Resource Center was not our plan. We just partnered with some 1122 folks that were already doing it. Some of that's in the room right now that God is laying a vision on you, a ministry on you. And once you start it and you get going, you'll come here and say, hey, can 1122 be a part of this? And you know what we'll say? We already are because you are 1122. I mean, the church is not a building. It's a movement. And wherever the movement is, that's where we are. And so what if, what if this entire family, this big old multi-thousand member dysfunctional family, if we really lived out the gospel, I mean, we really knew that Christ came on our behalf. Therefore, we should go out on others' behalf in the name of Jesus. You know what people around our city would say about us? Not it's a big church, not it's got an amazing preacher, not none of those things. They would say, they're turning this world upside down. And the reason why, the reason we do it is because the gospel compels us. The gospel compels us. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then it says this. But he emptied himself, taking on the very form of a servant. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That God looked at us in our crookedness, in our depravity, and in our filth. And what he did is Jesus steps off the throne of heaven. You know Jesus was doing just fine before the first Christmas. Okay? He did not need to show up. And the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then when he showed up, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, even though he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him, he said, hey, I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. And the Bible says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. We live in a culture that's full of, us, full of ourselves. We live in a culture that is full of ourselves. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. and Be full of yourself. It's not all about you. Your name is not worth living for. Your glory is not worth living for. I got bad news for you. When you die, nobody other than your family will even talk about you for three weeks after you die. It's over. After that, they won't even think of you anymore. Jesus is the only name worthy of living for. He's the only name worthy of living for. And so those of us that would call ourselves Christians that say that we've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. It's time to not be full of ourselves, but to empty ourselves and take on the very nature of a servant. Why? Not just to follow Jesus' example, but because we have Jesus. We have the Spirit of God living in us. And the gospel compels us to serve one another, to serve our city, and to serve the very ends of the earth in Jesus' name. And if we do it, I mean, if we do it with a reckless abandon like the gospel calls us to, people won't talk about our church has the coolest bumper sticker in town. People will talk about our church. So those crazy people are turning the world upside down. Not for us, but for His glory. Amen? Would you please stand and pray with me?
Hey, we respond to the gospel. We respond to the gospel. So I, I'm, I'm going to pray that the Lord will just work you over. And that you've had the courage to respond. Dear Father in heaven, God, we love you because you first loved us. God, thank you that you initiate, that you pursue. That God, we would be compelled by the gospel. That the Holy Spirit in us, those of us who have called you Lord. God, that you would open our eyes to see this world that needs to be turned upside down. And God, while turning the whole world upside down seems a bit overwhelming. And we know we can't do it. But all things are possible through you. God, first and foremost, would you turn us upside down? Would you change us to see this entire world through the lens of the cross? The lens of an almighty God that would suffer and die on a cross to reach people that were far from him. And so God, would you put in the hearts of the men and women and students in this place, places that serve, that they would serve here, right here at this church, and that you would use their service to lead more people into you. God, that they would serve our city. They would serve the city of Jacksonville. And the gospel would begin to change this city. And the God they would serve, we would serve to the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we respond every week to the gospel. God initiates and we respond. And we respond in a lot of different ways. Some of you need to respond by coming to the altars and kneeling down and saying, okay, God, here am I. Send me. Some of you need to respond by going to the Connect Center and say, hey, I need to get involved. I'd like to serve somewhere. Um, A bunch of you need to respond by coming tomorrow night to the Serve Onboarding. One of the ways we respond to the gospel is we bring our tithes and offerings to the giving boxes and the giving kiosk in the back. And that fuels all of this turn the world upside down stuff ministry that I've been talking about. And one of the ways we respond collectively as God's people is we glorify God by joining all of our voices on the same page and singing unto Him. So let us respond.